I don't think that we're always afraid of doing things because we know for a fact they're impossible for us to do. Um, I think we're we're worried about stepping into a, a, a path that has thickets and thorns and um, and and having to actually navigate all of those things to get to the other side, and so that path looks like one we should avoid. So at least I frequently find that things that I avoid drawing or creating as an artist, uh, once I tackle it, uh, end up finding out what I actually love about it. Welcome to the Habit Podcast, conversations with writers about writing. I'm Jonathan Rogers, your host. Illustrator Joe Sutphin has been a fixture around the rabbit room for many years. Highlights of his long career include illustrating the Wingfeather Saga and Little Pilgrim's Progress. His newest book, however, is his most ambitious yet. It's an almost 400-page graphic novel version of Richard Adams' classic, Watership Down. Joe Sutman, I'm so happy to have you on the Habit Podcast. Thanks for being here. You are welcome. I'm happy to be here, Jonathan. Uh, The Watership Down graphic novel. What an achievement. This thing is amazing, Joe. Um, how we we decided we were doing the math a minute ago. Three hundred and seventy six pages of panels, four or five or six or more panels per yeah. page. So thousands of of drawings yeah. you did for this thing. Yeah, yeah, tens of thousands of rabbits. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and the rabbits are so gorgeous, and the the landscapes are are so gorgeous. I don't, I don't, I don't know where to start talking about this thing. Um, it's Obviously, it's an a- adaptation of Richard Adams' book, Watership Down. Um, and you worked on it with uh, James Sturm. And uh, let's talk about uh, James is – tell me who James is. Yeah, so James is the uh, – well, first, he is a multiple Eisner Award winner. Um, he – uh, he won an Eisner for um, a Fantastic Four series that he did, um, and uh, another—I can't remember what the other one was—but he is also the co-founder of the Center for Cartoon Studies in Vermont, and uh, he is just like a real OG of <laughs> the comic world. Um, yeah. He has been a cartoonist for much of his life and a student of cartooning much of his life, and a real purist. Mm-hmm. Um, so his, uh, his, his uh, way of attacking visual and se- sequential storytelling is really straightforward. You know, none of the really fancy panel layouts. And um, uh, I actually found that to be a really refreshing way of, of doing this professionally for the first time. Um, and uh, I'm sorry, Joe, doing what professionally for the first time? Uh, making a comic, making a graphic novel. Um, I, I made a lot of them as a middle schooler and a high schooler. <laughs> and uh, I got away from comics uh, in my young adult life. And um, this was, yeah, my my first time back into sequential storytelling. Okay. I didn't understand that you'd never done that before. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that's it's kind of wild um, because... Uh, I have been illustrating for uh, over a decade now. And uh, when you're illustrating novels, 
you make art, you know, a couple times, you know, in a book, you make, yeah. you make art maybe 10 times in a book up to maybe 80 times in a book or something, but there's still so much uh, pages full of words between those. You leave it up to the reader's mind to uh, fill in all the blanks between your images. Yeah. And in that, you kind of get to pick and choose what you want to draw based on your skill level and your time and your investment and uh, what you feel like muscling through. And um, there are plenty of things in that part of my career that I could tactfully avoid drawing. You know, if I I didn't have to draw uh, buildings and structures and cars and trees, and uh, then I could avoid it. And Uh I learned super, super fast when you're making a, a a graphic novel, especially one set in the real world. There's just there's nothing you can avoid at that point. You you realize uh, you know, every single thing that the reader is going to read is because I'm feeding them visuals. So anything I was not good at, I had to at least try and get good at fast. Yeah, yeah. What what's something that you weren't you didn't feel that you were good enough at? Well, I hadn't I had never really drawn you know, if somebody hands you a pen with ink and says, now go draw vast landscapes. Um, I didn't really have the, the skills built up to understand how do I tackle that with black lines on paper? How do I look at um, a tree line that's, you know, 200 yards away or a mile away, two miles away with the atmosphere that gets stacked up and just the the haze and and the the lack of detail but you still feel form and you see shapes and there's mass and and then there's the foreshortening of the landscape heading towards you and um you know i never i never contemplated how i would tackle that sort of thing with a pen um and so i had to figure out through a lot of quick trial and error of uh what can i do with that to make that feel you know acceptable <laughs> I, I can't be- i mean looking at this book i can't believe that's just so hard to believe that you didn't feel confident about landscapes the landscapes <laughs> are so gorgeous in here thanks well you know i think that i think that that's part of our fears as creative people is that i don't think that we're always afraid of doing things because we know for a fact they're impossible for us to do um, I think we're we're worried about stepping into a, a, a path that has thickets and thorns and mm. um, and and having to actually navigate all of those things to get to the other side, and so that path looks like one we should avoid. So um, I think that you, at least I, frequently find that things that I avoid drawing or creating as an artist, uh, once I tackle it. Uh, end up finding out what I actually love about it. Um, yeah, you know what I love about drawing tree bark or the shape of trees or hands as you know props. Even yeah. you know just to really learn how to tell a story with anything you're put in front of you. Yeah, I think one one way to make sure that you um, are doing good work is to really shrink your world down to the things you already know you can do. And that's also a good way to get stale and, and kind of lose the ability to, to, to do new things. And so I, I love yeah. hearing about you. I don't know how old you are, but you're not, you know, you're not fresh out of 
art school. And I love to hear that you are willing to to do some new things and, and figure out some yeah. things. Yeah. And I, and I had mentors and friends who I've looked up to for years in the business. And um, there were a couple who really questioned me hard at the beginning. Are, are mm. you really sure you want to do this? Are you sure you want to take this on? Cause it's, it's going to be really hard. And mm-hmm. or I know people who, who have done this and they've told me how exhausted, you know, a lot of warnings. Um, yeah. But it really just felt like a scenario of, uh, it's it is preposterous that this was placed in front of me to begin with yeah um even more so just imagining uh who so many of the people i love are being in uh the rabbit room community and how much they love richard's book mm-hmm. to think that one of their own could make this book essentially for them as well yeah uh, there was just too much of that providential feeling to it that um, I knew that, and Gina, both of us, we had to talk about it a lot, and we knew that it was going to be extremely hard. So uh, we agreed that it was going to be something we were going to muscle through and get through yeah. and believe that it was it was the right thing to do. Because, you know, at the same exact time, I had been offered the Little Pilgrim's Progress book, which mm-hmm. I did over 100 pieces of art for as well. So I was leapfrogging those two books back and forth. At the I was going to ask you about that. I, I thought you must yeah. have been able to those simultaneously. Yeah. And that was, it was tricky. It was really, really tricky to do. But um, again, like I look back at it and I think no matter how hard it was physically, mentally, emotionally, financially, <laughs> um, we're both glad that that we went and did it and, and uh, you know, we're through it now and, and <laughs> you know, we get to to have that thing out there, those things out there. Yeah. Uh, let me ask for a point of clarification. You said it was preposterous that this opportunity was put in front of you. What was preposterous about that? Well, you know, I guess somebody is always going to get offered something. Uh, <laughs> every every job's going to go to somebody. So yeah. um, I don't think that typically when something very notable that means something to us as fans or lovers of a work or or something that we've revered at, at points in our life, we don't we don't typically think that'll come my way someday. Mm-hmm. Um, and I grew up, my exposure to Watership Down was turning on the TV in the 80s yeah. on uh, you know, during the middle of the day and finding an animated film on TV. And that's the only cartoon on television. So I'm gonna watch it. And yeah. Um, I didn't necessarily understand Watership Down at all, really, um, even as much as I even understood Catching the Hobbit in the same way. They they were like strangely not directed at children, yeah. yet they, to me, I was exposed to a lot of uh, visual media as a kid, so things didn't really shock me terribly. Mm-hmm. Um and so I, I grew up absolutely loving films like The Secret of Nim, which have like dramatically informed my visual storytelling. Mm. Um, and uh, Watership Down visually was something that I really enjoyed looking at. Um, yeah. And so getting into my adult years and finally reading it once I realized that so many of my friends, you know, Sam mm-hmm. Smith and Eric Peters and, and Andrew Peterson, all these guys who are saying, you know, you got to actually read this book. It's really gorgeous. And so, mm-hmm. um, and I really found that it, it, it just truly was. And 
then, you know, like even hearing my very first Hutchmoot session, I think I ever went to was listening to Jeff Overstreet talk about his experience with Watership Down as a kid and, and meeting the, I think it was like the, the son of the guy who made those little bisque figurines mm-hmm. um, and, and how he got one of those. And, um, and so like having, having this, see, the thing is, I, people ask all the time, like if, and when I, if I go and sell the book and sign it, I inevitably get asked by people frequently, like, well, what made you decide to do this? And uh, most people just don't really know how the publishing world goes about this sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And um, the weird truth of it is uh, I saw someone post images of a book on Instagram that I thought looked beautiful. So I put that book on my Amazon wish list. Uh, my mother-in-law bought me that book off my wish list for Christmas. I posted photographs of that book on Instagram and uh, started following the editor of that book, who happened to be James Sturm, who then followed okay. me back. And then about a year later, reached out to me and said, hey, I have been tasked with coming up with a team to make a Watership Down adaptation. I love your art. Would you be up for talking about this? So that's a really weird scenario of of things that led to me getting noticed with regard to this book being made. Uh Uh, I then had to... uh, take part in a selection process where I had to make uh, a sample page for the comic as did three or four other very established comic artists. Um, And in the end, the Richard Adams estate chose James and I as the team. So, (laughs) Okay. Um, Tell me about that, that work process between you and James. Uh, You didn't, James wrote all the words. Is that correct? Do I have that right? Yeah. 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 He, uh, he went through the book, uh, as a fan of the book Uh and he went through it from front to back. And, uh, in the same way that you would adapt a, an, an accurate film adaptation, he, he built our, our visual story out of what was already there. So we, he was not, uh, really manufacturing things. There, mm-hmm. there are portions where he would kind of make an amalgam of uh, events or even characters or, um, you know, plot lines to build, um, to still give the the same outcome, the same uh, in-betweens, the same emotions, uh, yeah. the same build-ups and resolves. Um, and uh, he was passing that along to me in drafts uh, in script form. So uh, it would literally say like page one, tier one, panel one, panel two, panel three. Um, He might even put notes of uh, things that are mentioned in the novel, like, you know, the sun was rising, you know, things like that. And then he would describe which rabbits were in the scene. And, uh, you know, it's all built by dialogue because Uh we're, we're not doing like a, kind of the uh, literary uh, graphic novels that are done sometimes where we weren't putting uh, prose, you know, we weren't putting the narration into uh-huh. yeah. uh, block form or anything. 
all of Richard's beautiful words became the pictures that we made. Mm -hmm. And and so then James being a cartoonist, as well as a writer, he, uh, he built the entire book out page by page in thumbnails. And then we would blow those thumbnails up and uh, letter them. And then I would print them off so that I could put them on a light table and have the correct panel format, the correct shapes and layout of where characters or certain items or locations might be. And then, uh, and then I, I was given the freedom to just be myself with that, even if that meant rearranging some things or. Can I ask you uh, one, one point of clarification? You said you letter them like yeah. the, the, the word bubbles were done before the pictures were done. Yeah, we did. We did do uh, letter the word balloons before uh, before the art was done. And then, you know, uh, copy editing is done and, and stuff is redone. They redo it yeah. all. But um, that was actually important because uh, it, it allowed me to always have the emotional state of things right there in front of me to know what's being talked about, who's being talked to. Um, so, yeah, we, we did input all of that. And, and it also let us see, because I was not doing digital word balloons, I was physically drawing them in ink. So um, it, it allowed me to, to make word balloons that were, you know, usually 99% of the time were the correct size and shape. So these words that I'm looking at in the book, that's your, you did that with a, with a pen? It is, it is not my handwriting. We, we uh, all we looked at a lot of fonts and this was the font we purchased. We all agreed on this font. I think it's called workshop pencil. Uh-huh. Okay. And and we wanted something that felt, felt like it, maybe it came from a hand. Yeah. And okay. felt like it belonged in sort of a sketchy mm-hmm. type of world, but yeah. yeah. <clears throat> and you, um, so you took the thumbnails, you turned those into the pictures I'm seeing now. Yeah. Um, which I know I've said this already about twice or three times, but they're so gorgeous. <laughs> they're just really, really pretty. Um, and um, and the emo- like the, the ways you use the rabbit's ears and eyes and everything to, to communicate um, emotion is really uh, just so good. So lots and lots of panels to it's in the thousands, but also you had to redo a lot of these panels. Yeah. yeah we, um, there came a point where, um, the estate, which, which is made up of, of Richard's daughters, um, uh, they worked with, um, I don't know. He's, he's, uh, another, another somewhat of an expert, I guess, on the text, maybe, um, uh, this gentleman went through, uh, our text and the original text, uh, just to to do kind of like some final like kind of fact checking evaluation, make sure that um, things were were lining up with the original text because um, it it becomes a really big task at that point to kind of see you know are did did we make sure we didn't leave stuff out or do, does everything still read and flow as well as the novel does as, as well as possible. Um, and in the end, uh, there were there were some things that were requested to be changed in uh, the story, 
um, in our adaptation, which were maybe uh, some maybe some dialogue was given to, to a specific rabbit or something that um, they would have preferred. Maybe that dialogue stayed with the original rabbit, uh, and maybe we had changed it because it fit better with the flow of where we already had rabbits in that moment. Um, or or more complicated things. There were some some complicated things like maybe uh, at at one point we had all kind of agreed we would leave out Hazel's initial kind of reconnaissance of like going into uh, Nuthanger Farm by himself or uh-huh. with again and I think maybe Buckthorn or somebody was with him and they we had kind of left that out and. Uh, decided to, to switch things up and just have them all go on their mission. Um, but after the fact, um, it was decided that it would be better to put that back in. So then we had to kind of restructure some things in the raid that we already made and then create this reconnaissance kind of mission chapter as well. Uh, and so a lot of that stuff required a lot of new pages or patching in mm-hmm. panels or even uh in some cases going through like a stretch of 10 or 15 pages and having to just digitally redraw uh, a specific rabbit in every single panel um, uh-huh. so there was a lot of that sort of stuff um and it you know it took some time it it ended up resulting in the book uh not publishing in the year that it that we wanted it to publish uh-huh. which would have been the 50th anniversary of the novel. Um, and so we missed that by a year, but you know, in the end, we all just wanted the best book. Um, yeah, it was better than, uh, the sentimental side of lining it up with, you know, an anniversary and things like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, you and James <clears throat> went over to England. Yeah. To see, I mean, Watership Down is a, place it's yeah. called watership down right yes Richard did. Adams didn't make that up no it did not um and uh as my understanding that initially he did not name the book watership down either um but we when 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 everything reached the uh okay it's happening we are doing this book and we had our first big group phone call with um the folks at the publisher and um richard's daughters Roz and juliet and their agent um and our agent <clears throat> james and i i think at one point had had kind of uh naively said uh so we can just kind of make this like in our own backyard right yeah. like it's just like it's a universal story we'll just yeah. make it make it our thing and it was just like you could hear the brakes and the wheels screeching, <laughs> and they, they were oh no 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 like uh, this these are places that dad walked and played throughout his childhood you yeah. know um, not just fifty years ago you know like yeah. seventy five eighty years ago uh-huh. so, um, th- it was decided uh, upon by everyone else that they were going to fly us to England. And um, Richard um, was friends with an illustrator uh, in England uh, named Aldo Gali, who illustrated a really beautiful edition of Watership Down for Simon & Schuster, I don't know, 12 years ago or something. And uh, 
Aldo became very good friends with Richard um, in Richard's final years. And Richard, uh, he walked a lot of these lands with Aldo and he um, shared and passed all of this knowledge and information on to Aldo. So Aldo has been uh, relied upon and called upon uh, even when the Netflix team made their adaptation um, Aldo gave them the same tours that he gave us. Mm. Um, even though I watched that and I'm not really sure if they took photographs or what, things don't really look quite as accurate. Um, and interestingly enough, the Martin Rosen film, uh, for, for all the things that I don't love about it, um, it's extremely accurate. Um, that's I, the one from the seventies or eighties. Yeah, And when I watch it, it feels like those are all the real places um, that I visited. But Aldo, uh, with the help of, of the Adams estate, was able to get us access to basically every single location necessary in, in the novel. So um, we really did visit the real Sandalford Warren, not Sandalford Park, which is where most people will go thinking that they're visiting that spot. Um, we visited yeah. the 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 crossing of the Inborn. We we visited um, the the fields that they crossed. We visited the the crossing uh, of the road by Newtown Church, and uh, we visited the churchyard. We visited the commons. We visited Cowslips Warren. We. Yeah. We visited uh, the upper bridge and the lower bridge of the test, um, which in some of these were places we had to get um, special permission to go visit. Um, we visited Nuthanger Farm and the lane, and we visited the fields where the pylon lines are, and we, we visited um, Watership Down and the beach hangar. Um, there was just, and the amount of photographs that we got and, and, standing there and experiencing and smelling and feeling the wind and, you know, walking around wet in the drizzling rain. And um, it, it was, you know, it was profound when you need to make something like this and you want it to really convey a reality of, of what this, what this would have felt like even to a young Richard Adams walking these places he loved and imagining the story in his mind, you know? Yeah. Uh, so uh, it was immeasurable um, to be able to to have that. Yeah. Is every external scene in this book, you can point, you can tell me what place? Um, actually, for, for the very most part, yes. Um, there are some, if you get deep into the woods or things like that, um, there are some places that are just made up uh -huh. um, or features that I made up. But we really did, we did venture deep into to the woods. We did venture into the fields. Yeah. The That's real tree. right there? Yeah. Minus the giant beech tree right there in the front that you pointed at. That, uh -huh. that tree is, has since fallen and its, its offspring is now uh. shooting up there. But we, uh -huh. we visited the, the stump of that tree. Yeah. Um, I, it, it looks imaginary. It's just uh, that, that, that. It does. That English countryside is just so yeah, know, magical and yeah. Yeah. So uh, yeah. Um, amazing, amazing to be able to set foot in all of those real places and to be able to say, yes, this, this really is accurate. And, mm -hmm. um, and it allowed me the ability to get into Google maps 
and uh-huh. triangulate things. I could look at photographs that I had and I could see, oh, this is that exact spot. We stood right there. And in this panel, in this scene, I need to be able to see what's off to my left, what's off to my right or whatever. Wow. So I'm able to, to kind of, you know, piece together like a puzzle, you know, what would I have seen in the background in this scene or. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So tell me about that. Like nobody was asking you to, to be that precise, were they? And why, why did um, you, why did you want to do that? Why did it matter to you? What was really to the left and to the right? Yeah. Um, it mattered to me because for me, I needed there to be a reality so that I could stay consistent with certain things. Um, for me as an artist, I feel like this is this is like directing a film. You know, I'm mm-hmm. trying to hire great actors for you to look at. I'm trying right. to employ great, you know, uh, frame of reference and just just really, really guide people around, guide the viewer around. And in that, if I were filming and I'm and I'm filming certain characters. And then I film the characters that are reacting them. Clearly, if the rain is pouring toward the left for the one characters, it's going to be pouring to the right for the other characters. Or if the wind is blowing one direction, or if there's a shadow to the right of the characters here and they move over here, I want to know where are the shadows, where are they moving within mm-hmm. space? Um, it helped me to believe what I was doing, what I was seeing, to always know. And then... Richard doesn't really always leave those things out. Uh, he he found it important to say, you know, if the sun was, you know, low in the West or whatever, yeah. he would say things like that. And uh, when you have a, a, a novel or literary work that is has such a, an enormous, uh, just heartfelt fan base, yeah. uh, I promise they'll notice these things. Uh-huh. I promise that they, uh, there will probably be no shortage of criticisms I will receive the rest of my life over <laughs> what we're capable of doing in this book. Um, but we really did try very hard. And if Richard said that, you know, they, that the sun was beating down from the east or whatever, then I was going to do my hardest to place them in that physical yeah. world. Yeah, was uh, was Richard Adams as careful with the places as you are? In other words, if if you you know how far it is from from one warren to the other, could rabbits really run that far? Or was he was he kind of fast and loose with it? Um, I think he was fairly careful. Um, yeah. I have thought about some of those things before, uh, wondering uh, could the rabbits have gone from here to there before the sun came up or whatever, yeah. and. Uh, you know, I don't I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I, I certainly know that he was not being honest about the rabbits talking and stuff. So, <laughs> there, you know, it's. I think that for the sake of plotting. <laughs> yeah, I love the foreign accents of the of the other kinds of animals, you know, the 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 bird, the seabird and the, the mouse. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's even so even the country folk who who live yeah. at the farm and the way that they talk. Um, I can't remember everything, but Juliet and I had some interesting conversations about those sorts of uh, countryside, rural acts, dialects mm-hmm. and stuff. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, instead of saying uh, I'm going to, it'll say I'm a uh, goner, you yeah. know, stuff like that. It's it's interesting. And instead of saying wild, the, the farmer says wild. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's fun to see those sorts yeah. of accents and dialects used. Yeah. 
in the little afterword that that James Stern wrote, he said, adapting this book felt less like using our imagination and more like documenting an historical event, which sounds like exactly, I mean, that's that's yeah. kind of what you've been talking about here. Yeah. It's it's odd because uh, when, a, when a story gets so embedded into a culture, especially our culture of friends uh, within the rabbit room, um, and and then the culture of of readers who have just loved Watership Down for so long, mm -hmm. and many other books, uh, you that fiction starts to kind of blur, and sometimes you you it's not like you forget, but you don't consciously keep telling yourself it's fake, it's fake, it's fake. Uh -huh. You're you're in it, you know, you're in it, and you're invested. And um, if if I if I wasn't in it and invested, um. I, it wouldn't have felt the same, mm. you know, there. Uh, and I think it's, it's, it's very fair and reasonable to, to believe that sort of thing when you're making it. It's different if you're writing, you know, comedy or, you know, there are certain things where the stakes are not as high yeah. and the impact it makes on humanity isn't maybe as high other than bringing joy or something, which is great. But if you're writing a story that has a lot of hardship or you're depicting a lot of hardship, it feels like a, a disrespect or a disservice to not uh, believe it and to not be there and be respectful of it. Um, yeah. And so, you know, there were, uh, there were plenty of, of points in this book that illustrating difficult things, like I really felt it, you know, I yeah. felt like, you know, like I've been with the, the this specific rabbit for so long, and now I'm putting them through something physical. Yeah. And you know, I'd find myself making faces, grimacing while I'm drawing mm -hmm. hard things. I gave myself yeah. headaches, clenching <laughs> teeth while Woundwort and Bigwig were fighting for like two weeks of of drawing. It was uh, difficult. You know, I, I yeah. wept for like four pages straight at the end of the book. Mm. So I think that you know, it, it's. Like I said, you don't consciously tell yourself when you're writing fiction that it's fake. Um, I think you you try very hard to be there and to be in it, and and that's kind of what helps it convey some sense of reality that impacts the reader. Yeah, there's a there's a saying: the difference between nonfiction and fiction is that fiction has to be believable. Yeah, and and you know you're you're making yourself believe you as the as the um, creator of this this work yeah you're making yourself believe and you're feeling uh you're feeling these sufferings of the characters uh you know as as you're as you're making this well this book has has been out in the wild like i said been out in the wild wild <laughs> nice. for uh for a little while um have you heard from some of the diehard fans have, you, have people said you made this mistake or is it I'm sure you've heard from a lot of people saying they really appreciate what you've done. Yeah. Um, James and I did a, a Reddit AMA and everybody was very respectful on there. Um, we got nice questions and, and uh, a lot of good uh, respect for our answers. Um, I have not made a point to go out and seek out reviews and see mm -hmm. what people are saying. Yeah. So I'm not positive yet if there are diehard fans that are criticizing things uh -huh. at the moment. Um, and 
You haven't got any emails anyway. No, and I would be happy to have those conversations with people in person. Um, It's not beneficial for me to to just read those things and not be able to respond. Um, But the one of the odd things is um, there are there were a lot of diehard fans when NPR uh, posted on Facebook about their interview with Mm -hmm. James and I. There were diehard fans who uh, read and misread the title of their in their Facebook post and then proceeded to not read the article and just comment. And what, what was the title of the post? Uh, I think it had something to do with us uh, us aiming to temper uh, to temper the the violence or something of of watership down with hope. And uh, uh-huh. the way that was worded um, kind of led people to think that we were watering watership down, down. <laughs> and <laughs> it, it, the, the honest truth was people have been given visual adaptations of watership down that love to focus on the peril, uh-huh. but don't have the time to fully invest in why the peril was necessary or why it would be even worth going through. Yeah. So, and that is beauty. That is uh, having a better life. That is sacrifice. You know, that there people have such a common, uh, it's like a meme these days of that film scarred me as a kid, that book scarred Mm -hmm. me as a kid. And, um, it it is an absolutely it it is an unfair thing to say about a book like Watership Down. Um, it there's nothing in it meant to scar anybody, um, and it is it's beautiful. And so being able to make it in a way that gives the reader plenty of time to understand why the hardship you end up seeing was necessary or worthwhile, mm-hmm. um, if that kind of gets rewritten into just a simple phrase like we hoped to temper darkness with hope. And then, you know, a whole bunch of people said a lot of rough <laughs> things about it. And I had to just kind of laugh and turn Facebook off. So <laughs> it's, uh, you know, you're going to get that people yeah. who come into it with closed doors. Um, but a lot of times you, you get out of a book what you go into it with. And if you go into yeah. a book with a closed door, you know, who knows what's going to get through. So, yeah, um, I think the world would be a better place if people understood that the people who write the headlines are not the same people who write the article. Yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, OK, you mm-hmm. said um, that some of your uh, more experienced, you know, some of your mentors and people who had been around really warned you about yeah taking on this project. Now that you've done it, what would you say to somebody in your, in your position or what would you, what would you say to Joe Sutton of a few years ago when this opportunity first popped up? Um, I, I probably would have said to that Joe, the same thing I was feeling then, which is do it and trust that you're going to get through it. You know, trust that if, if God can provide you an opportunity like this, there's no way he's just going to drop you into it and say, see, ya. see yeah. you on the other end, buddy. <laughs> you know, so I think that uh, I, I tried my hardest to put 
to keep my head down and just get the job done and do it. And I didn't go back to those mentors begging for help. I didn't go back yeah. of how maybe I shouldn't have done it. Yeah. Um, and in the end, uh, I've, I've received, you know, wonderful responses from them. And, mm-hmm. um, I think, uh, if, if this were somebody else, um, I don't know their fortitude. I don't know their work history. Yeah. Um, my, my, my only warning would be, um, if you're, if you're married, if you're in a strong relationship, you make sure that you have, you know, the, the blessing of that other person, Mm -hmm. um, because you're going to go through it together and there'll be times it's going to be hard. Um, make sure that, you know, if, if you're living on, uh, an author or illustrator's salary, then make sure that you're, you're prepared to, to handle that when it gets tight. And and it does, um, uh, for, for a, a large, um, commercial property like Watership Down, um, your initial advance might seem like, Hey, that's pretty good. And then five years later, when you're not, you're just finishing it or it's just publishing and your final advance portion is coming and you're thinking, Whoa, you know, we broke that up over four and a half years. That was hard. That was rough. Um, and you just got to be able to, um, you got to build your muscle memory and you got to trust it and you have to keep moving forward. You, you don't die on every hill. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you find the, the scenes and the things that you really want to make sure are, are really great. The things that stand out, um, and, and you get the whole thing done and, uh, and honestly, just do your best not to phone it in. Cause, mm-hmm. uh, for me, um, I felt like I inevitably got even better the further I got into the book uh-huh. where it would be easy to start really fatiguing and just, I'm um, just getting these pages done. Yeah. Um, but some of that actually required me to go back and maybe patch in a few new rabbits here or there where I felt like those drawings were a lot weaker and earlier in the book mm-hmm. and you kind of balance it out a little bit. But um, again, like I said before, like if, if that path is placed in front of you, it, if the path looks difficult, it doesn't mean it's a bad path, you know, yeah, yeah. Um, it, you, you still, you know, take it and, and walk it. And yeah. Sounds like you're talking about suffering tempered by hope. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. 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 Um, well, I, I'm really grateful that you went through. I know it was hard. Um, I'm really glad you did it um, because yeah, it's thanks. a beautiful piece of work. Um, and um, maybe we'll wrap it up there. We've uh, And so, uh, Joe Sutphin, thanks. I'm proud of you. Thank and you. Um, I'm proud to know you. And I'm proud of this work. I just think you did such a great job. So, uh, so keep it up. Look forward to, to seeing what you, what's, what's next from Joe Sutphin. Thank you, man. I appreciate it a lot. Let's talk again soon. You too. Bye-bye. This podcast is brought to you by The Rabbit Room, where art nourishes community and community nourishes art. And all our podcasts are made possible by the generous support of our members. To learn more about us, visit rabbitroom.com. And to become a member, rabbitroom.com slash donate.